Welcome to the 404th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Donna Freitas, author of the new novel, The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S., Check out Libro.fm today. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Donna Freitas, author of the new novel, The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano. Donna is also the author of the memoir, Consent, a memoir of unwanted attention, as well as 10 novels for children and young adults. Donna, welcome to the podcast. Jeff, thanks so much for having me. Sure. If someone hasn't heard about your new novel yet, how would you describe The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano? It's a novel about a woman who's never wanted children, but her marriage has come to rest on whether or not she'll change her mind. And the novel tells nine different versions of her life, and each one turns on how she answers that question of whether or not she'll have a baby. So in some versions, she has a baby. In some versions, she doesn't. And But in all the versions, she's dealing with, I would say, questions about women's choices and identity, not just with regard to motherhood and having a child, but also marriage, divorce, friendship, career. And I would say at the center of the novel is also... Rose's own relationship with her mother. So that's like a big, I I would say that's really at the heart of the book in many ways. Sure. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano? Definitely. It actually goes back to my memoir that you mentioned, Consent, a Memoir of Unwanted Attention. When I wrote that book, which was my first literary novel for adults, sorry, not literary novel, but literary work of creative nonfiction for adults, I wrote it in this very different way. It flew out of me. I wrote it very intensely and everything about it felt incredibly urgent. And it's a Me Too memoir. And so that topic itself and some of the things I was thinking about with regard to my past felt so urgent to explore in this book. 
And so after I finished that memoir, I really had told myself, I I don't want to write another book until something else feels really urgent to me. And so I was walking around the world wondering, what is that thing? What feels urgent? And then one day I thought, oh, I, I know. I want to write about a woman who doesn't want children because I felt like I haven't really seen her much in literature. We don't read about her much unless she's like the woman in the attic or like the old sad spinster <laughs> or or the woman who's she's on the cusp of marriage. So she doesn't have kids yet, but we just presume she will. Right. And so that character in particular of a woman who has a career and has a life and lots of friends and is married, but yet she doesn't want children that writing her felt really urgent to me. And so that was when I decided I was going to write this book. Sure. Do you feel that there is a connection in some way between your memoir consent, a uh, memoir of unwanted attention, and then also what I, what some would characterize as the unwanted attention that women receive even in 2021 if they decide to not have a child? <laughs> That's a great connection you just made. <laughs> so, Because it really is unwanted attention when people decide that um, they don't think you know yourself enough to decide whether or not you're going to have children and they want to decide it for you. <laughs> so I think women who don't want kids get a lot of unwanted attention. So that's a that's an interesting connection. I guess I would say the connection for me is in letting myself truly write about something that feels urgent to me now, like in this day and age. And so that that's why I connect them in my head. I guess it felt different to write the memoir. I felt like a different writer. I feel like I changed as a writer when I wrote the memoir. And I continue to change as a writer when I wrote Rose Napolitano. But I definitely think that in a lot of ways, part of what I've I was exploring in both of them are the different ways that society can press in on a woman and narrow her or put her in a box that she doesn't want to be in. So yeah, when I say it that way, actually, <laughs> they seem really connected. But yes. a lot of Rose, like a lot of what Rose is doing in the book is pushing back against the different things that people are saying to her about what choice she should make and why. Right. And I'm curious if you can go back a little bit. And what was your writing journey initially that led you to writing and getting your first novel published? As I mentioned earlier, you've published young adult and children's novels. It goes back a long way since I've been writing a, a while, though I became a writer as an adult, like way into adulthood, actually. So mm -hmm. I had already graduated with my PhD. And I, I was always a, a huge reader, but it never occurred to me that I would actually write novels one day. And I was actually on vacation. And I had been uh, a children's reviewer for a while. Like I was reviewing children's books and I used them a lot in my teaching. And so I was always reading them and reading new ones. And I was laying in a hammock and I was reading Holes by Lewis Sackar. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've ever read that, but it won the Newbery. It won the National Book Award the year it came out. And it's a wonderfully funny book. And I was laying in the hammock and I was thinking about Stanley Yelnitz, which is the name of the character, the main character in Holes. And I was like swinging in the hammock and thinking, if I was going to write a funny, quirky character like Stanley Yelnitz, who would I write? And then this character popped into my head with a very particular voice. 
And I didn't really start. And I indulged like thinking about her, but it never occurred to me that I would actually write a story about her. And then a few months later, I started writing. And the whole time I was like, what am I doing? I'm not a writer. And anyway, like I ended up writing a whole novel about her and she became the center of the first novel that I published with Farrar, Strauss and Drew. And I actually published it with the same editor as Holes. I had this fantasy that because I was reading Holes when I thought of this character that the editor would fall in love with her too. And it turns out she did. And so that's how my career as a novelist began. That, that's great. Do you remember you talked about laying in this hammock? Do you remember what prompted you the two or three months later to finally sit down and, and, and give it a try to face the blank page and write about this voice? Uh, I do, actually. It was mostly, so I, I think I'm a very voicey writer, or that's what I've become. So for me, it's often like I get up in the morning and I wait for the voice of, the, of my character to appear in my head. And, and actually, when I wrote my m- memoir, I felt like I I didn't start writing it until I rediscovered the voice of the person that I was when this thing was happening to me when I was in my 20s during graduate school. So it was like I pulled a voice out of my past and that and I called it up. And that's what I that's how I wrote the memoir. I wrote it in this voice that is no longer mine. But anyway, like I heard the voice of this character, Antonia Lucia Labella, when I was laying in the hammock. And I indulged her voice, I guess, when I was like walking around the world, like she kept appearing in my head and she was just really persistent. And so I just kept hearing her voice. And so finally, that's why, like her voice wasn't going away and I felt like it got stronger and stronger. And so finally, one day I just sat down and started pouring out the voice that was in my head. That's great. I'm curious about when you were working on the nine lives of Rose Napolitano, Given the fact that there's these nine possibilities or or nine versions, did you do a lot of plotting or were you really just following the voice again? I didn't. Everyone keeps asking me because it's structurally complicated, this particular novel, if I had a map or if I had like a murder board where I was keeping track of everything. (laughs) And the only thing I did was when I, I didn't sit down to write that book until I realized oh, she's going to have nine lives. Because I I knew in the beginning, I wanted to write about a woman who didn't want children, but I didn't know which version of her I was going to write. Like I thought, oh, is she going to have the child and then regret it? Or is she going to have the child and figure out she's happy? Or is she going to refuse to have the child and then have to live through the consequences of that? Or is she like, I had all these different possibilities in my head. And then one morning, I was actually sitting at a church at a lecture, not um, related to the church, but And I had a piece of paper and a pen and it popped into my head. What if I could write all the versions? What if I could write all the stories (laughs) in one? And so I just brainstormed this story. I just made a list of the stories that Rose could live. And then once I had that, I like sat down to write. And for me, it was just following. So I, because everybody keeps asking me the question about structure, it made Mm -hmm. me think a lot about the fact that I didn't have a murder board or like I didn't have a map and why. Because one of my editors made one actually, like in the process of editing. And a lot of people have, I've actually had other people who've worked on the book who've made these like color coded maps for all the roses. And I am very mathematically minded. I always have been, I was almost a math major in college 
And then I became a philosophy major, which is also very math. And it occurred to me recently because of this question that I keep getting that, oh, like the book or like storytelling, at least for me, is like math. And I've always done math in my head. Like I can always sort of hold the whole process in my head. And Mm -hmm. so when I was, I'm one of those people who I know the answer immediately and that I'd have to go back and show my work for my teachers. And so I feel like in my head when I was writing Rose, I could see it all three-dimensionally. And then I just had to sort of write it out in a linear way. And so I know that sounds a little crazy, but that's how it worked in my head. And I think this is why, like, my friends, among my writer friends, we all have different skills and talents. And I'm known as, like, the plot doctor. Like, I love plot. And it had never occurred to me before all the questions I've gotten about this book that maybe the reason why I love plot so much. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details is because I'm such a math person. Because plot is like math. Like you're doing an equation when you're thinking of how all the threads of a story sort of widen out and then come together like a puzzle. Sure, that's interesting. I'm curious, you're currently a faculty member for the Farley Dickinson University's MFA program. What is your approach to teaching writing? Oh, I love teaching in general. Because I have my PhD, I've been a variety of different kinds of professors, both in my field, but also now more recently as a writing professor. And one of the things I like to say a lot to my students is like, your life depends on it. (laughs) And and I joke with them, but I'm serious that, that in a lot of ways, writing or like getting to write a book, like especially a novel, there's such generous forms. Like they're so roomy. There's a, like uh, novels are just expansive and I think they can, they can capture or give room to so many complicated things. And so I really feel like I, for my students, like the best thing you can do is to find something 
like a character, a question, a topic that you like truly care about, and then put it to your novel, like right through it to try to figure it out or to try to give it life or to work something out. Or like I talk about how I feel like writing a book is you can use a novel to grieve something, you can use a novel to celebrate something, you can use a novel to answer something really difficult, or you can use a novel to to go back to a part of your life and, and try to live it differently and see what happens. And there's something so extraordinary to me about that. And so I guess that's sort of the primary advice I give my writing students. One of the things that drives me nuts is when people come and say, oh, I want to write a book like X, something that was on a bestseller list. And I feel like that's like the wrong question. You want to be asking something different. What is it that I need to get out specifically? What is it that's unique to me or really bothering me or that I really need to deal with? And then you go from there. Sure. What novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed and that you would mention? I'm reading right now Euphoria by Lily King, which I'm really enjoying because partly because it's about it's about academics. It's about anthropologists. I think it's based on Margaret Mead and her life and her work. But Lily King is such a she's such a good storyteller. And I love the way that her novel is both wonderfully smart, like unbelievably smart, and also just full of juiciness. Like it's just a really great book. But another novel I read in the fall that I adored was Sea Wife by Amity Gage. I really loved, I thought it was, I couldn't put it down. It's It's essentially, it's a novel about marriage and family, but it reads like a thriller. And structurally, I think it's really amazing. And then the other book I read that I think is one of the top five books of my life is I read in December, Know My Name by Chanel Miller, which is just, it's a, so it's a memoir and it's just truly a masterpiece. And it felt like justice. So Chanel Miller is, is the woman who was raped by uh, Brock Turner, who was known as like the Stanford swimmer. And it felt like justice that, Chanel Miller turned out to be like the biggest wow of a writing talent that I have encountered in many years. And she wrote a stunner of a memoir. And I've been telling everyone I can possibly speak to to read it if they haven't yet. That sounds powerful. You mentioned that Consent, a memoir of unwanted attention, was born from the Me Too movement. If it's not too personal, I'm curious, was there any type of repercussions for the professor that you wrote about in your memoir? Oh, well, I should clarify that I actually started writing. I was almost done with it before the whole Me Too thing with Harvey Weinstein happened. And it's a Me Too memoir because that's what happened. But I had already decided to, I was already writing it or I was almost done with it when all of that happened. I, so far, I don't, I don't know. I broke an NDA when I wrote that and I didn't name that person and I didn't name the university. And I guess one, a lot of people have asked me why I didn't do that. And it actually wasn't because of the NDA, though the lawyer said that was helpful (laughs) um, with regard to the NDA, but I did it because I really wanted the chance to tell my story and my voice. And I feel like one of the things that really bothers me that often happens when people name the person who hurt them in a Me Too context is the story often shifts to them and people become fascinated with them and they also become linked to you forever. And I really didn't want 
this person linked with me for the rest of my life. And so that was the choice I made not to name him. Got it. So are you working on a new novel or new book now? I am. I'm I'm dabbling with a couple of different novels and I'm trying to figure out which one is next. And that's something that I have to do in the next few weeks. So I'm not quite ready to say say which, but I'm also writing a nonfiction project about restorative justice and related to um, Me Too topics. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your new novel, The Nine Lives? I have a website, which is com, And just recently, like a couple of months ago, after a lot of hemming and hawing and soul searching, I started my first social media account on Instagram. So I'm like, it's literally my only social media account ever. And I partly started it because my grad students, my MFA students told me that they thought I would love it because I love, I get really excited about books and there's this whole thing called Bookstagram and it's really vibrant and people are really nice. So I started a Bookstagram or like an Instagram, but I mostly just post about books, but it's actually been a really fun, I'm glad I started it. I've you know, quote, met a lot of really cool book people and other writers. And it's been really fun to have people reach out to me who've read the book and and get to have personal interactions with them over Instagram. So I'm very pleasantly surprised. So I'm donnafreitas.writer on Instagram. Great. And and I'm curious what why your reluctance on social media? I don't actually have a smartphone. I okay. never have had one, which is can be challenging for Instagram. But <laughs> I my my husband has an iPad, and so I've been using the iPad. It's the only thing I use the iPad for is to to go onto Instagram. So I'm a little bit like, even though I'm not even close to being a grandma, I'm a little bit like the grandma on Instagram <laughs> or like the Luddite. <laughs> but but it's just never, it's been something I just haven't wanted in my life, really. Sure. Or I guess smartphones or smartphone. The, the smartphone is the thing I haven't wanted in my life. And because of that, I just haven't been on social media. So yeah, so I'm excited. I found one little window into it and one that I've enjoyed. We'll see how long it lasts, but so far I'm going to keep going. Well, again, we've been speaking with Donna Freitas, author of the new novel, The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Donna, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano by Donna Freitas, read by Kristen Say, available from PRH Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. Luke is standing on my side of the bed. He never goes to my side of the bed. In his hand is a bottle of prenatal vitamins. He holds it up. He shakes it, a plastic rattle. The sound is heavy and dull because it is full. This is the problem. You promised, he says, even and slow. Uh Uh-oh, I am in trouble. Sometimes I forget to take them, I admit. He shakes the bottle again, a maraca in a minor key. Sometimes? The light through the curtains forms a halo around Luke's upper body, the hand held high with the offending object outlined by the sun and glowing. I am in the doorway of our room, on my way to pull clothes from the drawers in the closet. Mundane things, underwear, socks, 
a top and a pair of jeans, like any other morning. I would have folded the clothes across one arm and carried it to the bathroom so I could shower and change. Instead, I stop, cross my arms over my chest, the heart inside it mangled with hurt and anger. Did you count them, Luke? My question is a cold snap in the humid August air. So what if I did, Rose? What if I did count them? Can you blame me? I turn my back on him, go to open the long drawer that contains underwear, bras, slips, camisoles, riffle through my things, disrupting the order of my clothing, everything growing more and more out of control. My heart starts pounding. You promised me, Luke says. I grab a pair of my grannyest underwear. I want to scream. Like promises mean anything in this marriage. That's not fair. It's perfectly fair, Rose. So I didn't take the pills. I don't want a baby. I never wanted a baby, and I don't want one now, and I won't want one ever. And you knew that before we got engaged. I told you a thousand times. I've told you a million times since. You said you'd take the vitamins. I said it to stop you from tormenting me. Tears sting my eyes, even as the blood inside me pulses with fury. I said it so we could have a little peace in this apartment. So you lied. I turn. The underwear falls from my hand as I march my way to the other side of the bed to confront my husband. You swore you didn't want a baby. I changed my mind. Right, sure, no big deal. I am tumbling down a hill. We are tumbling, and I don't know how to stop us from crashing. You changed your mind, but I'm the liar. You said you'd try. I said I'd take the vitamins, that's all I said. You didn't take them. I took some. How many? I don't know. Unlike you, I didn't count. Luke lowers the bottle, grips it between both hands, palm pressing down on the top, twisting, removing. He peers into the opening. This bottle is full, Rose. He looks up at me again, head shaking, left, right, his disapproval pouring over me. Who is this man before me? This man I love. This man I married. I can barely see a resemblance between this person and the one who used to look at me like I was the only woman in the universe. Like I was the meaning of his entire existence. I loved being that for Luke. I loved being his everything. He has always been my everything. This man with the soft, thoughtful gaze, with the friendliest, most open of smiles. This man I was certain I would love for the rest of my days on this earth. The words, but I love you, Luke, are trapped moths banging around inside me, unable to find their way out. Instead of disarming the bomb between us, in one swift motion, I explode. Swiping the bottle from Luke's hand, my arm like a club, knocking it hard and high. The huge oval pills becoming an arc of ugly green skittles flung across the wood floor, scattering across the white sheets on the bed.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.